This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another amazing podcast episode with myself, Adam Strong. And today we have a, a real, real treat for us. You guys listening on the show, we have an amazing uh, para, former Paralympian, uh, Mark Colburn, MBE. Now, um, Mark used to be a uh, world and Paralympic cycling champion, ladies and gents. And uh, I'm not going to go into the full bit of it because I feel like we're going to be talking about this during the story. But he had a, a life changing, uh, should we say, life changing accident, should we say, almost was fatal. But we'll talk about that. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Mark's um, uh, Paralympian journey, of course, his insights. And also we're going to be talking and sharing with you guys about his entrepreneurial pursuit. So kind of transitioning from athlete to entrepreneur, which is a bit of a mindset shift but also, uh, well, actually many different shifts, in fact. So we're going to be talking about some of the insights, lessons, principles that Mark have, has learned over the years, and hopefully it's going to help you guys, okay, uh, give you some perspective about whatever it is that you're doing right now. It's going to help give you those shifts in perspective, which is what I love on this. Mark Watt is a, uh, a keynote speaker, and he's also a leadership coach, and he does a lot of uh, coaching and, and speaking for people like Fortune 500 companies and is based out of Dubai. And, you know, what's really interesting, um, Mark's extremely humble, uh, and uh, he's extremely he has a, a huge sense of gratitude, and I get that from our conversations that we've had offline. So, without further ado, Mr. Mark Colburn, MBE, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, my friend. How's everything? Oh, things are good. Things are good. And, uh, you know, and and by the way, for you guys that have not picked up the accent, yes, he is originally from Wales. If you don't know where Wales is, check it out on Geography Mac. You'll be able to see it. It's very small, but it'll be there. All good. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, very true. But no, thank you. Thank you for the invitation, you know, to... Oh, uh, good. To have this conversation today, you know, to certainly Absolutely. help your audience, um, you know, and, you know, as an international speaker, you know, I've said this all around the world, my job is not to inspire people. My job is to actually teach people how to inspire themselves. Mm. Yeah, I like that. That's a, 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 a great gold nugget, by the way, ladies and gents, because, <laughs> you know, if you want motivation and inspiration, go somewhere else, because actually here you, you're actually learning you know, you're getting perspective, right? And you become inspired from the stories that you get told. So love yes, that. Good stuff. Yes, very true. Um, but no, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, welcome. Uh, big shout out to Mr. Lawrence Hodgins, uh, who has introduced us. Uh, Lawrence is uh, an amazing tax, uh, where he's an expat tax assistant expert. So uh, by the way, I'm not paid for endorsing him, but he's a great, he's one of my clients, but he's an amazing guy and he's uh, connected with us. So um uh, wanted to give a big shout to uh, to to Lawrence. Um, now I want to kind of I want to jump in if that's all right because I sure. mean listen you've had a you've had a you've had a bit of a journey haven't you? I mean you've had some I mean over the last sort of fifteen years you've gone through some massive uh, well uh, 
should we say changes, challenges? Well, it's it's even hard to put it into perspective. But yeah. tell us, um, tell us a, a little bit um, about um, what was life like before you had your accident in two thousand and nine. Was you because I know that you did, I know that you were a former Paralympic well and uh, Olympic champion. But was you also a sort of Olympian training? I mean, what was life like before the accident? Tell us a little. Give us some perspective. Yeah, very much so. I think you know if I can take your audience back um to probably the 1980s you know to start with growing up in south wales um you know i was privileged to be you know um living in a working class family my dad was a crane driver my mum was a school caretaker you know uh, i wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth so you know everything that i aspired for i guess i had to work for and you know i had to learn the skills to enjoy the fruits of life shall we say but the one passion that I had, you know, certainly growing up was the passion of movement, passion of health and well-being. And I guess I always had that um, that that inner, you know, desire for, for dopamine, you know, because I've always enjoyed sport. I've always enjoyed activities, you know, and and that then sort of led me into my adult life when I started working. You know, I was a, a stained glass designer for 10 years, Adam, believe it or not. Wow. Um, now the stories are coming out, don't they? You know, <laughs> so so apart from you know the passion of chocolate, as most kids had in the eighties, um, you know, and sport, you know, my my other passion was actually you know designing, being cre- creative, you know. So so let's let's fast forward. You know, I started working at uh, the age of twenty. You know, I got married at twenty one, and uh, and for that that sort of time in my life when I was married for sort of fifteen years. You know, it was a great time. You know, I have a wonderful daughter uh, who's now 29. She works for the solicitors. So, you know, very proud father, you know, proud dad. So I guess, you know, to to kick off, you know, the life I had with, you know, my wonderful parents who unfortunately are no longer with us, I can really say a big thanks to them, you know, for instilling the values into me, you know, the great values that, you know, I still have today. And I got divorced, as I said, you know, in 2006. I was still racing triathlon. I was still a keen rock climber. And one of my passions was paragliding. So so I guess that that sort of 30-year period, you know, that I had uh, was a, a great time in my life. I've got no regrets, you know, mm-hmm. zero regrets about everything that I guess I've been through and what I've done and what I've achieved because I guess I knew that one day in the future, tomorrow would be my last day. So the mm-hmm. one thing I do not want to carry with me as a burden through my life, you know, is the the burden of regret. Because as we all know, when we get to the end of our life, you may have lots of money, you know, you may have, you know, incredible, you know, wealth um, and health. But the one thing you won't have is time, you know, mm-hmm. because that 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 clock at the end of our life, you know, the commodity that we can never buy back, you know, just just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller, you know. So so I think the the message my father gave me, you know, when I was about 10 or 11, about the process of life that you have to live life now, because one day in the future, it'll it'll all be over, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I guess that's been my driver, you know, apart from sport, health, well-being, activity, movement is the understanding and i you know i say this on stage as a as a conference speaker that mm. you know it's going to stop one day you know 
Definitely. So make them make the most of the the time you have today. You know, mm. love that, love that. It's, it's, a, it's a good thought. I mean, I feel like, uh, especially with our audience who are mainly entrepreneurs, is that I feel like some of them have just got the wrong priorities. They 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 value they chase the money, right? They chase the money and and not think about time. But as you rightly pointed out. Time is the biggest currency, right? It's kind of like mm-hmm. the biggest commodity that you, you can't get it back. You can earn money and you can get and get lose money, you win money, whatever. But you're absolutely right. I think um, I think you're absolutely bang on. My, my late father said to me when I was young, and I'll never forget this: that everything we work for in life, we only borrow. Mm. Okay, because what we do take with us when we do pass on is experiences, friendships, relationships. You know. All of those mm. pleasures that stay with us, whether you have money or no money, you know, um, that that's what you take with you, you know. Yeah, very good, very good. And uh, sounds like your father had some some good wisdom. He had some great wisdom uh, attached to it. Yeah, good. My, very cool. my 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 father was known as Mister Nice Guy, and he he was a true gentleman. He was a thinker, <laughs> a very quiet thinker, you know. Um, and um, and I suppose my my late mum kept him in line. yeah very much love it now i know that um i know that in you know in 2009 i mean you had a a massive um accident didn't you you had a a near fatal kind of para paragliding accident didn't you which kind of like changed everything you kind of like span everything like you broke your back you damaged your spinal cord and and you were what was you like paralyzed from the from the hip down is that right is that correct yeah from the waist down so if i take your audience back mm. you know take your audience mm. back to the 2nd of may 2009 <clears throat> when you know in the uk uh, it was actually a bank holiday you know it was a mm. may day bank holiday and you know i'd been flying for probably about 8 or 9 months at that point and and just loved the feeling you know that loved the feeling of the the peter pan moment as I call it, when you when your feet leave the floor, you know, and there's there's a great metaphor there for your for your audience, you know, um, mm. and that just shows, I suppose that just shows the the cheeky chappy, you know, in me as a human, you know, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and the second of May, you know, I was flying with the club, it was probably about twenty one pilots flying above Swansea, you know, a, wow. a great a great you know a great town in in Wales. And unfortunately, yeah, about mm, about quarter past five that afternoon, you know, my canopy unfortunately just collapsed. Complete freak mm-hmm. of nature, just maybe in the wrong place at the wrong time, but who knows? And I fell from about forty feet, which is about fifteen meters, and you know, basically fell straight down onto grass. And uh, and as I actually hit the grass, I can even see the grass coming up now, Adam. Just remember hearing this almighty thud. You know, which was my feet hit in the floor, and uh, and I got dragged by the wind for about mm, ninety or maybe a hundred meters. You know, uncontrollably, wow. fully conscious, mm-hmm. and you know when it finally stopped, I'm staring up at the blue sky, but I'm in no pain. This is the crazy mm-hmm. part of this this story. I'm mm-hmm. looking up at the beautiful blue sky that afternoon and just thinking to myself, "Wow, that was close." <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, that was really close, you know, that was really close until I tried to sit up to pull in the paragliding lines, you know, yes. uh, for safety. And I couldn't get off the floor. I couldn't raise my shoulders off the grass. And as I looked down my body, both my legs were twisted like pipe cleaners. Huh. And I thought, oh, dear, 
I think I broke both my legs because there was no movement, no feeling, you know, nothing. Mm. And one of the paragliding pilots looped down, you know, unclipped, ran over as quick as he could. And he just took one look at me and he says to me, oh, my gosh, are you still alive? I said, yes, but I, I can't feel my legs. You know, I was totally paralyzed from the waist down. So that mm. afternoon, you know, I got airlifted by the, the Wales Air Ambulance, which I'm so grateful for, you know, for an amazing service that saves lives, you know, 52 yeah. weeks of the year. And uh, and got airlifted to hospital, you know, to give my details to the hospital and just say, look, ring my parents because, you know, I've obviously had a severe near fatal accident, but just, just tell them, just tell them that I'm okay, but I've had an accident, you know? So I had right. my MRI and I had an x-ray, you know, that evening and I'll never forget Adam lying in the hospital bed. And it literally was this quiet, you know, it was totally silent in the ward. And I'll never forget hearing the footsteps coming down the ward. And then I heard the voice and I'll never forget the feeling I had in my stomach, mm. this feeling of anxiety when I heard the voice and the voice said, where is he? Where is he? I'll give him paragliding. Where is he? Who walks in? <laughs> my mother. Oh, your mother. <laughs> my mother. I thought to myself, oh no, now I'm in for it. <laughs> so you can imagine that conversation where my mum is like, so what have you done? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I think I broke both my legs, but I don't know. And here comes the, you know, the doctor, you know, with the famous brown envelope. And he pulls out, you know, the, the x-ray. And he says, Mark, I'm, I'm really sorry, but, you know, you, you've broken your back. I said, what? He said, you, you've broken your back. You've got a huge thoracic fracture at T12, which is around belly button level. And he said, I'm really sorry. You know, and he walks off. So you can imagine my mum's crying, I'm crying, and my dad leans over and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says to me, I told you, didn't I? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like Thanks, dad, dad. This, is, this is not the time, please, not okay. now. You know, not now. So, yeah, that was the start. That was the start of a new life, you know, shall wow. we say? Yeah. What was, um, I mean, I mean, just to hear that, I mean, what was, what was your, I mean, obviously you, you, you was in a, a, in a state of shock, I guess, wasn't you? When, when they told you and whatever it is, how, how did you kind of gather your thoughts and emotions to try to keep it together at that point? Well, there's a, a process in the, the human body called the change curve. I don't know if you know much about the change curve, but um, in 1969, which is the year I was born, there was an American Swiss psychiatrist called Elizabeth Kobler-Ross. And what she, what she found with her work in the hospice where she was working was that when families were going through a state of bereavement, they go through these different emotional stages. Okay. And mm -hmm. the first stage is denial. So you can imagine I've hit the floor. Bam, you know, I'm looking at yeah. my legs, which are twisted. Yeah. And I, I'm almost in disbelief. You know, I'm like, they shouldn't look like that, <laughs> you know. And then obviously that night, um, you know, when the doctor said, look, you know, you, you've broken your back. Yeah. That's the second stage. The second stage is shock. Okay. Yeah. So the first stage denial, second stage is shock. 
And I think after having my spinal operation, so I've got six pins in my back that, you know, were, were put in to fuse the, the vertebrae together. Sure. It was probably about, I'd say about two months of just lying in that hospital bed, staring up at the ceiling, completely motionless, you know, mm. just thinking, well, this is probably the end, isn't it? This is probably mm. going to be my life now for the next however many years, you know? So the mm. third stage is anger. Okay. The third stage is anger. And I'm not an angry guy, as you know, you know, we've had great mm. conversations, but I started to feel, you know, that deep, deep anger because I couldn't change what had happened, you know? And then, you know, the, the simplistic fourth stage really is accept or decline. Okay. So you, you have to accept what's happened so you can move on. Okay. So, so that process probably lasted, yeah, probably about four months, you know, before I suddenly accepted or started to accept what had happened, you know, Oh wow. <clears throat> you know, so I guess the six months I had in hospital, you know, without taking up too much time of your podcast and of your audience, um, it got to about four, just over four months. And I said to my parents, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. Just take my money out of the bank, fly me to Holland, because I knew that euthanasia was legal in Holland because I had researched it on the internet, you know. Mm. And uh, I said, this just... Let's just get it done. I, ca I can't do this anymore. I can't live my life in this horrendous physical and emotional state. Okay. Yeah. So my mum, you can imagine, my mum's in tears. And my father leaned over when my mum went to the toilet. I'll never forget this. And he caught hold of me and he said, you listen to me now. You're going to get through this. Are you listening? Now stop upsetting your mum. Stop upsetting me. Pull yourself together because you're a winner. Are you listening to me? Because you've never given up on anything you've ever done. In your life, why are you gonna get up now? Why are you gonna give up now? Wow. I'm like, oof, you know, this is Mr. Nice Guy. This is this kind gentleman, you know, who scared the living daylights out of me, you know. And he said, Don't tell your mum we've had this conversation. Okay, now stop crying. And I did. And I just thought, you know what? He's got a point. He's got a point. And from that moment on, Whatever date it was after four months in hospital, I literally started to have that self-belief, self-confidence of who I was as a human, almost the inner warrior, you know. Mm. And uh, and that that's when it all started, when I finally left hospital. And the first thing I did after month two of leaving hospital was to get back on my bike. Mm, you wow. Know? And, and, and that's that's... That's the next stage of accept and decline mm. is to know yourself, love yourself, trust yourself, challenge yourself. That's crazy. So was do you feel like um, was your dad kind of the catalyst in the kind of mindset shift to kind of say, do you know what? You got a point. Do you think he was the, the, the main driver in your decision? I think at that moment in hospital, I wish I kept a diary, Adam. You know, which, <laughs> which I didn't because I, I I could have literally reverted back to the date you know when that happened and sure. um and that pattern now you know as a qualified you know leadership coach I know that that process is called a pattern interrupt mm -hmm. okay and and it, it definitely helped me to start to focus on what I could do rather mm. than what I couldn't do you know right and that that's why then you know when I left hospital the first thing I did was to go back to the gym 
get back on the bike, literally start to be physically active again. Because mm-hmm. we all know that if you're physically strong, it helps your mental health. Absolutely. It helps all of your systems, your cardiovascular system, respiratory mm-hmm. system, mm-hmm. digestive repair. It helps your whole system, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's that's when it all started because I guess, you know, when I was a kid, you know, Daley Thompson was my sporting hero, you know. <laughs> Daley Thompson. He's a Daley Thompson, you know. <laughs> this gentleman who was world-class in 1980 and 1984 when he won his you know olympic golds mm-hmm. you know in the decathlon but you know my dad was my my personal hero my go-to guy you know so so yeah i i guess at the time you know he did what he did and he said what he said to help me mm-hmm. change that mindset you know to take me back to who i really was as a human rather than my physical state because yeah. physically i was a mess you know yeah I mean, I mean, your body is just a shell. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't, you know what I mean? It doesn't, it's not your soul. It's not your spirit. It, do you know what I mean? It's just a shell. So, yeah. you know, I, I guess, I guess I can understand that. Um, I, before we kind of move on, I just wanted to ask a really brief question. What was the physio like and the physio, you know, I mean, it must've been really tough, like for 12 months, being able to learn to walk and what uh, did you, what, did it affect your neuro, neuromuscular system? Like as in your language and communication? Uh, um not not necessarily you know my speech because sort of you know above my belly button everything was functional you know my arms my shoulders um i suppose i went through and i don't mind sharing this with your audience you know i went through some really bad dreams and nightmares you know Mm -hmm. in hospital because you know that you can't walk you can't run you can't skip you can't rock climb you can't do all the things that you used to do so right. your brain almost then goes into almost a state of fear, okay? Mm. That, that that feeling then becomes, you know, an intrinsic fear. Mm. And the, the fear for me was falling, okay? Mm. So I had these horrendous dreams and nightmares where I'd be walking with friends and next thing I would just like, you know, literally just fall over like a tree, you know? Got it, got it. But But because I couldn't get up, that was really affecting my... Um, I suppose my mental health, because mm. that was the fear that if I do fall, I can't get back up, you know? Mm. So yeah, there were some dark times, but I suppose mm. touch wood, you know, I'm just very, very grateful for the physiotherapy in hospital, which was amazing. Mm. Um, and certainly, you know, the functional training that I did then after I left hospital, you know? Yeah. Love a bit of functional training. Uh, we'll talk about that on a separate conversation anyway. <laughs> um, it's all good. Now, interestingly enough, because I know that um, sort of that 12-month, um, should we say 12-month chapter of your life was a bit of a dark one, but then you got invited by um, uh, Team uh, GB, effectively, uh, you know, uh, to rep- to do cycling effectively, didn't you? You, get, you got into training and that kind of mode. I mean, that must have been a real, uh, should we say, I suppose it must have been a right opportunity, a great opportunity for you, right? Yeah, because I guess, you know, the the whole 12-month process to enter British cycling, which, you know, was one of my childhood dreams, mm. you know. And, uh, and and there's a great question I got asked a few years ago by um, a gentleman in a, in a conference that I was speaking at. And he said to me, how long were you training for the Paralympics, Mark? I said, probably about 30 years. And he was like, sorry? <laughs> 
I said, please understand that that this this passion to become a champion, okay, yeah. has been with me ever since I was 10, 11, 12. Okay, when I understood competitive sport and what it took to become competitive, you know. Sure. And uh, and he was like, wow, you know, but it's true, you know. Mm-hmm. So so that process from leaving hospital to start in cycling to start training, mm-hmm. and the the whole concept, the whole process was just to go back to work. Okay, that that was the first priority, just to go, go back, back to, to work. work. So so when I got approached then to start racing on the velodrome you know, in South Wales by one of the local um, disabled cycling charities uh, mm-hmm. called Disability Sport Wales, which is, yep. it's, it's more of, um, it's more of an academy, okay, for, for disabled people. So they that can is. try out, they can try out the sport, okay, for free. So I started winning some races and I'll never forget, you know, showing it on Facebook, you know, showing my sort of, you know, my first prize plate and the gentleman who, uh, treated me on the day of my crash. One of the paramedics, a lovely gentleman called Ross Griffin, he messaged me to say, oh, it's great to see that you're cycling, mate, and you're obviously functional, and you're winning some races. I'm really proud of you. Well done, 12 months on from, you know, from my accident. And I said, oh, thank you ever so much. You know, it's very kind of you. He said, what's your, what's your mobile number? Let me give you a ring. I said, yeah, okay. So anyway, he rings me, and it just had this conversation about rehab and you know, the accident and being airlifted and whatever, whatever. Okay. So at the end of this um, conversation, he says, um, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, of course. He said, what are you doing next month? This was June, 2010. Uh-huh. I said, well, nothing really, just just training and getting myself fit to maybe go back to work, you know? He said, um, would you like to take part in a charity cycling ride around Wales to raise money for the air ambulance? I said, I'm in. Okay. It's no cycling. Questions no questions yep. asked. It's cycling. It's raising money for the organization that saved my life. Okay. Yep. I'm in. Okay. He said, Oh, that's great. Thank you. It's five hundred and it's five hundred and twenty miles in a week. I said, What? Ooh. <laughs> he said, It's five hundred and twenty miles in a week. I said, Yeah, that's what I thought you said. <laughs> <laughs> so it was basically to the four corners of the circumference of Wales. And I thought. I thought to myself, do you know what? I've got to do this. Okay, yeah, this guy, it. this guy saved my life. The least yeah. I can do, okay, is to raise money to keep him in a job. Yeah. Okay. I mean, anyway. So the first day of this charity cycle rider meets a gentleman that I'd never met before, and I mean, this mm-hmm. guy was like 110 kilos, just full of muscle. Okay, huge guy. Okay. So he says to me, "So what's wrong with your legs?" I said, well, I broke my back a year ago. I've got lower leg paralysis, but I can cycle because when I clip in, I can push and pull. Okay. Nice. Anyway, we had a 20 minute conversation and he says to me, can I ask you one more question? I said, yeah. He said, are you training for the Paralympics in two years time? I said, no, why the hell would I do that? (laughs) He said, I think you should. Uh That was it. I was like... You know, goosebumps, hairs on my neck, okay? And I was like, oh, my gosh. Never thought of the Paralympics, okay? I said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah, of course. I said, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) He said, my name is Dr. Matthews. I'm a chiropractor. So I understand what's going on in your body. But he said, you've got a huge engine, you know, big, powerful engine and strong legs. 
So that was the start. It was, you know, big thanks to my dad who changed my mindset, but a big thanks to Dr. Ben Matthews, you know, for asking me that question. So I went home after the charity bike ride and I said these words to my parents. I said to my mum when I walked into the house, give my mum a big hug, you know. And she was like, welcome back, Mark. How was the ride? I said, oh, mum, it was amazing. It was fantastic. I said, have a guess what I'm going to do next week. Oh, what's that? She said. I said, I'm going to start training for the Paralympic Games in London in two years' time. She said, oh, good luck. What would you like for food? <laughs> Here comes Love my dad it. now. Here comes my dad because he just went over my mum's head, you know. Yeah. And uh, my dad walked in from the living room. He says, um, well, welcome back, Mark. But well, what's this Paralympic thing you just mentioned? Mm. Now, I said, look, Dad, it's the Olympics, you know, for people with a disability, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna commit hundred percent just to get there. What an experience that would be. Just to be there. It's a home game, you know. Absolutely. He said, Mark, come here. <laughs> and he puts his arm around me and he says, Are you okay? <laughs> I said, Yeah, I'm fine. He said, Mark, have you lost the plot? Are you going crazy? I said, no. He said, Mark, you've just broke your back. Just go back to work. Forget this Olympic, Paralympic dream. I said, whoa, whoa, stop. I said, come here. Now, I never <laughs> disagreed with my father, Adam, ever. Uh, ever, ever. Okay. Uh, I said, listen. Uh, I said, you told me as a child, if I have a dream to never give up, until my eyes close for good, never give up. Okay. Now, I said, I'm doing this with or without you. Okay, you can either get behind me and support me or get out of my way. Okay, because I'm serious. He turns to my mother. He says, Margaret, have a word with your boy. I think he's lost it. <laughs> and that was the start. That, that was, was the start. start. That was the start to make it into British cycling literally 12 months later. Wow. Amazing. Become part of the elite, you know, yeah. and just start to live out, just to start to live out that childhood dream. Because you know. I know that, um, I mean, you were at the, you obviously uh, represented Team GB in uh, London 2012, which must have been a, well, an amazing experience to say the least, um, you know, it being London, of course. But tell us a little bit about um, some of the emotions and thoughts that were going through your mind, especially kind of like, you know, especially when you as kind of, you know, leading up to the race, but also winning the gold. I mean, there must have been a mixture of emotions and thoughts, or were you just completely 100% focused on getting the job done? Yeah, yeah. So think about this, and this is a great, a great, um, a great piece of information for your audience. Okay, mm. I, I, as I said, I've come from a working class household. Okay, where hard work was just in our DNA. It's what we did as a family. You know. Mm -hmm. And going through my accident, going through the trauma, you know, the mental trauma, the physical trauma, to then be asked by my coaches, you know, in British Cycling to do all of this training, okay? Remember, I've had 30 years of loving, moving, okay? You know, training some days every day, you know, because I enjoyed it. And, and the, training, the training aspect was easy. Okay, it was easy to do for me. It was difficult, but right. it was easy for me right. to do. So the yeah. emotions, the emotions going into British cycling were very simple. And I, I coach this now as a leadership coach. Okay, it's okay. 
It's having belief. Think about this. It's having belief, first of all, in the organization. Okay. Has it been done before? Yes. Because British Cycling at that point had like 115 gold medals. Okay. Yeah. Very successful. Belief, belief in the organization. Okay. Mm-hmm. Belief in the process they give you. So if the mm-hmm. coach says do this, you go, okay. Because you put total trust in the coach. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you have to have belief in you as a human being. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll come on to discipline in a moment, but the belief that you can do what you are trying to achieve. Okay. Now, pillar number four, which is the most important pillar of all, is you having belief in you doing the process. Does that make sense? So Absolutely. belief in belief in the organization, belief in the process, belief in you, but belief in you doing the process. That's right. that's where the magic really happens. Okay. So so going into British cycling as a very coachable individual, having belief in British cycling, in the process. And that's when I started to get confident and have really strong self-belief, certainly when I won the world championships in Los Angeles, you know. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. so taking all those emotions, feelings, some some apprehension, you know, into mm-hmm. London 2012 was, I guess, a test of my resilience. But remember what I've just gone through, you know. Right. I was happy to, you know, go from breaking my back to breaking world records, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so to represent, um, you know, there's an element of Team GB that's called Paralympics GB, which is the actual organization that you represent, okay? So so to represent Paralympics GB at a home games, literally in my backyard, it was just, <laughs> it literally, Adam, was the stuff of dreams, you know, where the whole country got behind us, you know? Absolutely, yeah. No, it's a, it a, it a great experience and stuff. Um, I was going to say, uh, when did you, by the way, I forgot to ask you, when did you retire from, a, you know, sort of training, athletics, cycling? Was there kind of a point and what, what, what was that point? Was that recently or? It, it, before London, it never ended my head about retirement. You know, I was, I was just getting mm. faster and lighter and stronger. And mm. in my head and my heart, I had my eye on, you know, Rio 2016. Yeah. But to go into London with a vision board that looked almost almost unbelievable and almost un- unachievable mm. you know mm. it was you know become a world champion yeah i achieved yeah. that yeah. win a gold medal at the paralympics at the home games yep did that you know break yeah. a world record yep did that twice in one day now i yep. i don't say this to impress people but to impress on people for this reason okay this is where discipline comes in mm-hmm. when you focus on giving a hundred percent in mm-hmm. what you do. And I mean any part of life, relationship, career, entrepreneurship, sport, okay, what whatever. When you give a hundred percent and you get used to giving a hundred percent, you mm-hmm. can then say to yourself, Do you know what? I did my best. Okay, I did my best because 110% doesn't exist. Okay, it doesn't exist. You can only give your best. So going into the games, achieving what I achieved. I guess after the games, I kept thinking to myself, probably more in 2013 when I stayed on the program and I kept racing, you know, for British cycling at the time. I kept thinking to myself, well, maybe if I go to Rio in three years' mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. what if I come back with nothing? 
Okay. Going into London, I had nothing. I had nothing sure. to prove and everything to gain. Okay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What if I come back with zero? Because in sport, you're known by your last race or your last game. Okay. True. And True. I kept thinking, well, how do I want to be remembered? Mm-hmm. Do I want to be remembered as the guy who, you know, went from breaking his back to breaking world records in London? Mm-hmm. Or remembered by going to Rio and coming back with nothing? Mm-hmm. Even though I was still getting faster and lighter and stronger, I just mm-hmm. had this little voice, you know, Nagging. what what if, mm-hmm. what if, mm-hmm. what if? And that's when I said to British Cycling in the end of 2013 into 2014, mm-hmm. Thanks for everything, you know. We're done. Mm. I, I'm I'm done, you know. And and fair play to them, you know. British Cycling, an amazing organisation. They said, look, doors always open, you know. Yep. If you change your mind, you pick the phone up. Love but it. the phone call never came. Yeah, understand. You know, um, what I was going to say that there's just there's some. I mean, for you guys that are listening, and I hope that you're enjoying our conversations. By the way, so there's just so many great lessons to be learned here, and I'm 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 conscious of time now because. I want to, but I've got a final question, if I may, before we go. You've transitioned to running your own business, being an entrepreneur and things like that, all the exciting stuff, uh, which is all very juicy. But for those guys that are listening into our, to our conversations, right, uh, entrepreneurs mainly, business owners and things, um, what are some, uh, maybe three things that you could offer in terms of like, terms of, you know, your, I suppose, lessons learned from your athletic days to what you do as an entrepreneur now right what 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 did you transition over and what could what could some of our audience listeners uh, and our listeners learn mm. from from those life lessons yeah i think the first thing is to look after yourself okay and what i mean by that is you know i know coach um, a great leadership program that's based on the corporate athlete okay yep. because without your health you cannot gain your wealth you can't okay you know i'm i'm 53 cool. i'm still cycling 300 kilometers a week okay i'm still looking after myself in terms of health and well-being lots of sleep lots of hydration yeah what's my point my point is that if you're if you're in that mindset of being a professional athlete in your business okay yes. then you can work the extra hour you need to then you can deal with the stresses that you need to okay mm. You, you have clarity, okay? You have a vision. When you're tired, run down, dehydrated, trying to survive on three hours sleep, you, you're no good to anybody. Nope, I you agree. Know? <laughs> you're not, you know? So, so it's important to, to put your physical health, you know, right up there, you know, with your business uh, acumen. You know? mm-hmm. So I think that's the first thing. I yep. think, the, I think the, se- the second thing, is always ask for help. Love it. Okay. Always, always, always ask for help. Um, and I think the third thing is to be a is to be an expert in what you do. Okay. You know, it's taken me probably four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pro- yeah, probably four years to find my passion again to specialize you know to become a facilitating coach you know a leadership coach you know i've been a conference speaker now for 10 years you know i did three conferences last week and um and and it's what i enjoy you know it's what i really enjoy and that comes back to i suppose having a vision 
but mm-hmm. also creating your own legacy. And I got I yes. got told a, a few quotes the last couple of years, but one of the, the great quotes that I, I was shared um, by a friend of mine was that you are your you are the artist of your own painting. <laughs> Love that. Okay. You are the artist of your own painting. You know, you take as long as you want to do the background, you know, and you do the mm-hmm. sketching, and then yes. you start to pick the colors, which is your, you know, your niche. Um yep. And then it just depends on how long you want to take, you know, to finish the painting, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the second quote that um, that I I came across a few few weeks ago by Mike Tyson, you know, the famous, you know, world champion boxer, was that um, any good man can become a great man, but not every great man can become a good man. Hmm. Like that. I love it. <laughs> That's a great so one. powerful. That's a good one. You know. Very yeah. powerful. Keeps me grounded, keeps me humbled, you know. Absolutely. Well, listen, um, first of all, I mean, this has been an absolute whirlwind of a conversation. It really has. And I think we could probably end up talking for hours, but we don't have hours. Um, uh, But I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on the show and, you know, sharing some great great, uh, value bombs with us. I just wanted to say thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. And obviously, good luck to your audience. Thank you ever so much for watching and listening wherever you are in the world. And, uh, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I wish you all very best of luck. Very cool. And um, for you guys that have been listening in, by the way, hope you've enjoying our conversation, me and Mark, um, around grit, around mental toughness. I mean, there's just so much that you can just take away from me and Mark's conversations. Um, you know, and, and it's just, you know, Mark's got like loads of stories. But what I would endorse you guys to do is to check out Mark's links below and uh and connect with him on social media if you do have any questions feel free to reach out to him i'm sure that he'll be more than happy to respond when he can uh of course so um um so hope you guys have enjoyed today's show thanks very much again and hopefully we'll see you again back here listening in on the podcast thanks so much everyone and uh speak to you soon take care bye-bye